Hi friends, thanks for joining us today. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas season and geared up for a great New Year's. Last time we were together, we talked about how Jesus demonstrated his power over evil spirits during a worship service at a synagogue in Capernaum. By this time, Jesus had already done some miracles, but it seemed that that exorcism at the synagogue was what really kicked things into high gear and his fame really began to explode. Today we're going to be looking at parallel accounts from Matthew 8, Mark 1, and Luke 4 because they happened in very rapid succession. After the service at the synagogue, uh, Jesus and the disciples he'd had up to that time went to Peter's house. Now Mark emphasizes they went there immediately. Peter's mother-in-law was there sick with a, with a fever. A couple things to point out is the fact that Peter had a mother-in-law, which would indicate that he was married. Now it's true that his wife is not mentioned as being there at the time, and uh, some have speculated that she may have died somewhere before that time. That may be true. But keep in mind a later statement from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.5, uh, which, in which Paul, even though he was unmarried, uh, speaks about the right of the apostles to bring along their wives with them. And he uses Cephas, or Peter, as an example. But at any rate, Jesus never made celibacy a requirement for church leadership. That's an unbiblical, man-made tradition, and it's caused a lot of harm through the centuries. Also notice that Peter still had a home, which shows that Jesus didn't require everyone who followed him to give up all their property in order to do that. Uh, you're probably familiar with the story that happened later of the rich young ruler who Jesus told to sell everything he had. The reason Jesus did that, though, was because the, um, the young man basically worshipped his wealth. And with that idol in his life, he couldn't wholeheartedly follow Jesus, so Jesus had to make that test. But he, again, this shows he didn't do that with everyone. As it's been said, God doesn't mind you having money, but he does mind money having you. But back to the narrative, the Greek word for fever was... Puretos, which literally means scorching heat or to be on fire. So at any rate, Peter's mother-in-law was very, very sick. And fevers were a lot more serious in that day and time than we, in place, than we think of today. It was not uncommon for people to die from a fever. And they didn't have the luxury just to be able to take an aspirin or whatever to get it under control. And as you know, even after a fever breaks, you still need a little recovery time from it. But Jesus went further than that. He just, he restored to perfect health. And so what do you do when you get a miracle like that? You respond with humble, grateful service to God. The first thing she does is she gets up and it says ministered to them or served them. One would assume that she made them a meal, which I think some uh, translations do word it that way. But that's not the end. After seeing the miracles that Jesus had done at the synagogue, the people there wait till after sunset so they wouldn't violate the Sabbath, and then they start to assemble outside the door of Peter's house. And they have a huge healing service right out in the street. They knew that what happens when Jesus is around. Jews understood the three signs of the Messiah would be healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, and casting out demons. So by this time they had seen that it was pretty obvious that Jesus was who, who they were looking for. People who were sick or oppressed were brought to Jesus that night and he healed every one of them. Finally, in Matthew's account, and who, we, as we discussed, was the one who puts the most emphasis on Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, finishes with a quote from Isaiah 53. That, this means that this wonderful prophecy is referring to physical healing being a, a benefit of Jesus' death on the cross. By his stripes we are healed. Not, not just spiritually speaking, but the provisions made for, for physical healing and everything else we may need. Maybe you've never heard that before, but it makes more sense when you look at the fact that every blessing we get from God comes through the basis of Jesus' sacrifice. He was cursed so we could be blessed. He was made poor that we would be made rich. He was wounded that we would be healed. 
He was made sin that we might be made righteous, and he died so that we may live. It's been said, and I would and I agree that um, divine healing is something. Whatever you, else you may be studying, you should always include that as part of your course of study, because there will come a time when you'll when you'll need it. A couple of resources I'd like to recommend to you are this book, um, Bodily Healing and the Atonement by Dr. McCrossan, as well as this classic, um, Christ the Healer by F.F. Bosworth. Both of these are very scholarly, edifying works on the subject that will be tremendous benefit for you. In our next episode, we're going to be discussing what is the very lifeblood of everything Jesus did, and that was his prayer life. So in the meantime, as always, please like, share, comment, and always keep it real. Thank you for joining us.